0: You like what we've done with the place? It's nice, right? Give us four months off. We can transform a church. Hey, um, before I jump in, I want to say a couple things. Um, first of which, um, I want to thank uh, Fellowship Bible Church for allowing us to come um, and be here. There's some of their uh, volunteer team here. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. They are um, Big K Kingdom um, Church, and they are very, very generous to allow us to come and uh, be a part of this. So um, the second thing is I have never followed Nikki after she has spoken, and I'm a little nervous. <laughs> that was really good. And, and I heard it earlier, and I was nervous then, and I'm, I'm still nervous now. Um, but we're going we're gonna to wrap up this series. Um, that we've been through over the last couple months through the book um, of James. If you've been um, with us online, that's where we've been for the past couple months. We've kind of skipped bits and pieces uh, of the book of James, but I've tried to stick as closely as I could to what I think um, James's main point is. And it's, it's what does it look like for followers of Jesus to live out an everyday faith? What does it look like? to have a faith that's alive, that's active, that's, that, that actually works. That's why we call the series, James, a faith that works. Um, and to wrap up the series, we're actually going to go back to the issue that James starts his letter with. And I don't know why um, James starts his letter with this and, and then the same issue he, he ends with. But my guess is, and this is just a guess, my guess is that this is the issue. The issue that has the most potential to create dead, worthless faith. It's the issue, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're convinced of who Jesus is or not, if you're somewhere in the middle, it's the issue more than any other that keeps people from faith in Jesus. It's the issue of pain and suffering. The issue of pain and suffering, it really boils down to two questions, and you see people throughout history um, asking these two questions about pain and suffering in the midst of pain and suffering, even on the other side of pain and suffering. The two questions are why and when, right? Why and when? God, why is this happening to me, to them, to us, to him, to her? God, why is this happening, and when are you going to do something about it? God, why? Why? Why do we have to go through this? And when are you going to step in and do something about it, provide some relief? Anybody asking questions like this lately? Why and when? James tackles the issue for us, but I just have to warn you. Um, James's answer is not emotionally satisfying. Like, you're not going to take a deep breath and go, oh, I'm so glad I came to church tonight. That's so, yes. You're you're, you're not going to lose a spouse. You're not going to have a cancer diagnosis. You're not going to lose one of your kids and go, well, I just need to read what James says and everything will be all right. It's not emotionally satisfying. There really isn't an answer that's emotionally satisfying when it comes to pain and suffering. But before we write off his answer, we need to remember who he is. Right? James, the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. We talked about this at the very beginning of the series. He, he was just a normal guy, as normal as you can be growing up, the brother of the Messiah. Right? Grows up, and, and he didn't believe his brother was the Messiah until after the resurrection. He wasn't convinced until he saw his brother die, and then three days later saw him alive. And then, For the next 30 years after that, James spends his life leading and shepherding people who were going through all kinds of pain and suffering, persecution, famine, sickness, death, not able to provide for your family. So so James isn't going to approach this issue as a philosopher in some cave on top of a mountain. James is going to approach this issue through the lens of living through and in. Lots and lots of pain and lots and lots of suffering with, think about this, with the image of his resurrected brother tattooed on his brain. That changes something. (laughs) That changes who you are. So in these few verses, he gives us the answer. He gives us the response to pain and suffering that I think actually helps us live out of faith that's active, that actually works. And again, the answer is not emotionally satisfying it it just isn't. But I think it's the right answer. It's the right approach. It's the right response for Jesus followers when it comes to pain and suffering. So here it is, James chapter five, if you brought a Bible or a mobile device, if you're watching this online and you want to follow along, feel free to pull that out, James chapter five, how are we to respond to pain and suffering in this world, James, two words be patient. It's not an answer, is it? That's not an answer. That's the answer you give your kids when you want them to stop asking. All right? That's not an answer. That's that's your delaying. That's that's that that it's it's an answer you give when you don't have an answer. That's putting off the answer. Be patient. Really? It gets worse. Look how long you have to be patient. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. What? This was written 2,000 years ago. That hasn't happened yet. So you're basically saying we have to wait indefinitely, James? No, that's not what he's saying. This is something you see all throughout the New Testament. Um, Jesus talked about it. Uh, Paul talked about it. James has already talked about it in this letter so far. Um, Here's what he's getting at. The solution to pain and suffering in this life isn't found in this life. The ultimate solution to pain and suffering in this world cannot be found in this world. And intellectually, like we know this, that, that that's not new information. Intellectually, we know it, but it's still frustrating. It's really frustrating. Because we want answers. We don't like pain and suffering. We want to be on the other side of pain and suffering. We want things to be better. We want a solution. We want an answer for any and every kind of pain and suffering. We want out. Essentially, what we want is heaven now. We want heaven now. And as Americans, we will spend as much money and time and energy as we can trying to make this heaven because we have the resources. And James is just subtly reminding us, you don't get a wrinkle-free life now. That comes later. But right here, right now, that's, that's, that's not what you get on earth. As much as we hate what happens in this world sometimes. And as much as we do as the people of Jesus to alleviate pain and suffering wherever it is, this life cannot provide the solution to pain and suffering. So be patient. He gives us an illustration. Everybody in Kansas should understand. Verse 7, middle of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land? to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He says there's, there's something going on that you don't see. There's something underneath the surface of all this pain, all this suffering in your life and in this world. And just as the farmer plants the seed, waits for the rain to come, has to rely on the soil to interact with the seed, and just like the seed eventually sprouts a valuable crop, we need to understand, That God is working in a similar way. God is always working in ways we can't always see. There are things below the surface going on that we don't know, just like the seed underneath the ground. And and hear me, (laughs) I'm right there with you. We can kick and we can scream and we can yell and we can cry about COVID or cancer or infertility. Or that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, all of those things. But James is just trying to remind us there's an anonymous process in progress. That took me two days to come up with that. (laughs) There's an anonymous process in progress. We want to know what's going on, right? Why, God? When, God. I want to know why is this happening and when's it going to end? And James is saying, just like the farmer, we won't always know why. And we won't always know when, but when you experience pain and suffering, remember God is always at work underneath the surface. He's always at work, even when you can't see it. And he goes on, just like the farmer, you too be patient and stand firm. Your uh, translation might say take heart or um, encourage your heart. The Greek phrase here literally means stabilize your heart. It's like your heart is out of whack and just needs to be put back into place. Some of you expe- have experienced your, your heart being out of rhythm and being shocked back into rhythm. That's kind of the idea here. He, he's saying all the stuff that you deal with in life, all the stuff in this world around you that doesn't seem to line up with what you believe about God and doesn't seem to line up with what you believe about life, all of that stuff has, has messed with the internal settings of your heart. It's out of whack. It's off. And so he says, if if pain and suffering has knocked your heart out of balance, number one, remember to be patient. Number two, remember that God is up to something you can't see. And number three, check your heart. Stabilize your heart. Refocus your heart. We're gonna come back to that here in a second. And then he gives us the reason why we should do all that. Because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago, right? So, was James off? Did, did, did he have something wrong? And, and again, all throughout the New Testament, followers of Jesus lived with a sense that he was coming back soon. And do you know why they believed that? Because they saw him leave. And, and when you see someone leave who did all of the unbelievable, th- all the miracles, when you see a guy murdered on a Roman cross and then three days later you have breakfast with him on the beach, when you hear all the things that he taught, when you hear all these things that this man did and then he leaves and he says, I'm coming back, you have a tendency to believe him. You believe what he says. If you see all that, if you hear all that, don't you think you'd go around thinking, I hope he comes back today? Oh, another day. I would love it if he came back today. Wouldn't you go around telling anybody and everybody who would listen? He's coming back. He's coming back. He's he's coming. I'm telling you. It's going to happen. Don't you think it was easy for them to believe that Jesus was coming back soon? See, the thing about this is, um, it's interesting to me as a pastor. Very few people ask me about Jesus' return when everything is fine. I, I, I didn't have anybody ask me about the return of Christ in 2019. Not once. Do you know how many people have asked me about it since March? All of a sudden... We're interested in Jesus coming back. All of a sudden, God has people's attention. It's one of the byproducts of pain and suffering that makes us look up. And most of the time, we neglect this. We do, and I'm at the front of the line. Most of the time, we neglect this, but the fact is, there's nothing keeping Jesus from returning except for one word from the Father. There's no more prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. No more signs that need to happen at any moment. The Father could say, it's time, and Jesus could return. And we don't live with near as much urgency around that as the first century followers of Jesus did. And that's understandable, because they saw him leave. But today, right here and right now where we sit, we are closer to Christ coming back than we have ever been. Ever. Yes, yay, Thank you, from the mouth of babes. And I'll start with me. When things aren't going well, when I see injustice and rampant immorality, when I see fighting and quarreling everywhere I look, when I see brokenness all over this planet, when I stand in front of a group of people with three cameras on me, and every camera adds 10 pounds, I just want Jesus to come back. As soon as he can. I can't wait for Jesus to come back in those moments. And I have had many days where I just want that to happen. But there are other days. There are other days when things are good, my kids are getting along, my golf game is strong. There's not a global pandemic driving people crazy. And I just don't think about it a whole lot. When I'm comfortable, when I'm happy, when I have more than I need. I fall into the trap of believing I've created heaven here on earth. And all it takes is a little bit of pain and suffering to wake me back up to the reality that this ain't heaven. Heaven will come day, one day and all pain and suffering will end. Every tear will be wiped away. Death and sin will be banished forever, but not in this world. And until that day comes, pain and suffering is just a reminder (laughs) that this isn't heaven. And then James goes on and talks about another issue that we're seeing all over the place right now. And it's almost almost like this next verse doesn't belong in the conversation. It's like he lost his train of thought or something. But then you think about it, uh, it makes perfect sense. Verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the church or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James says in the middle of pain and suffering, be patient. Trust that God is at work under the surface. Recalibrate your heart. And oh yeah, by the way, don't grumble against each other. Now I have no idea. Uh, James is writing this to Christians, not to non-Christians. He's writing to the church. I have no idea. What they were grumbling about specifically. But aren't you so glad 2,000 years later, Christians don't grumble against each other anymore? (laughs) Like, aren't you so, there's no grumbling about politics or masks or when we should go back to school. There's none of that. Aren't you so glad? James says, quit it. Quit it. Jesus is standing right outside the door. How embarrassed are you going to be when he comes in and you're grumbling with each other? Quit it. In other words, there's another way to say it. While you're being patient for Jesus to come back, be patient with each other too. While you're being patient for him to come back, be patient with each other too. Have you noticed how often James talks about relational conflict in his letter? And have you noticed how much relational conflict there is in our world right now? Don't you think we should be not just hearers of the word, but doers of it? Be patient with each other. Then he gives us a few examples. Verse 10 brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He's drawn on their knowledge of the old Testament. He's saying, you guys remember the prophets, right? Remember the job that they had to do? What a difficult assignment. They had to to communicate the unpopular thing to stubborn people, faced all kinds of suffering because of it, and they looked foolish most of the time. But as time went by, they were proven right. They were proven blessed even. Look what he says in verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. He's talking about Elijah and Habakkuk and Isaiah. And Jeremiah, all of these prophets that did the difficult thing and they persevered. And then he gives us the best illustration of all. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord, circle this word, finally brought about. I mean, poster child for pain and suffering, Job. Job is it. He actually, he faced so much pain and suffering. He actually thought God had abandoned him when in reality, He had God's undivided attention. Job Job said, God, where are you? And God's going, I'm right here. I'm actually watching you. I'm paying attention to what you do. But Job was tempted to believe that God had abandoned him. And because we get the whole story, like from start to finish, James says, remember Job? Remember all the stuff he faced? Remember what he went through? God didn't abandon him. He was working all along underneath the surface doing something nobody knew, nobody understood. And in the end, Job persevered and got to see what God finally brought about. And do you know the kind of God that we serve? This kind of God that we just sang about? James tells us the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He's full of compassion and mercy. The prophets eventually understood this. Job eventually understood this. Some of us eventually understand this. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And sometimes, yes, we have to wait to see that. We have to wait until that becomes reality. But guess what? It's not just a ketchup commercial from the 80s. The best things come to those who wait. The best thing comes. To those, think, think of all the areas in your life that require patience. What happens when you don't show patience in those areas? Does it get better when, when, what happens when you're fishing and you don't show patience, do you catch more fish? What happens when you're investing and you don't show patience? Do you make more money? What, what, what happens if you're a baseball player and you don't show patience at the plate, do you get more hits? I've I've never heard a couple say, you know, our problems started when we didn't get married sooner. Never heard that. Never. I've, I've never heard, you know, it all went south because we didn't get in debt earlier. In every other area of life that requires patience and we don't show it, we lose out. Things don't get better, they get worse because sometimes the best things come to those who wait. So James says, be patient. So let's head to the finish line here. Um, I want to take a step back. And I just want to look at a couple options that we have when it comes to responding to pain and suffering in our life. These aren't the only options, but these are the options that I have for you right here. Option number one, um, believe, you believe that there must not be a God because there's pain and suffering in this world. And I know that's a real, the reality for a lot of people. I know that's a reality for people that maybe you know or you're related to, that, that the issue of pain and suffering is why they don't believe in God. And I just want to unpack that real quick. I obviously don't have time to unpack this in two minutes, so I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, all right? If you think God can't exist because there's pain and suffering in this world, all you've really said is this. God, as you would like for him to exist, doesn't exist. Uh, you've written out a job description for him. You've said this is what God is like. You've searched high and low for that kind of God. You can't find him, so you've decided that he doesn't exist and you're right. The God that you have created in your own image does not exist. The fact that there's pain and suffering in this world says nothing about whether or not there is a God. If that's where you've gone mentally, um, emotionally, even theologically, you've actually discounted the only one who can do anything about your pain and suffering. As Philip Yancey said, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. Does pain and suffering go away when you decide there's no God? No. No. No, the the only thing that goes away is your only hope in the midst of pain and suffering. I don't think that's a very good option. And again, man, we could talk for hours on that one right there. So that's, that's one option. Another option, decide there is a God, but you don't like the way he's running things, so you're not gonna submit to him. You're not gonna believe in him. You're not gonna do what he says because you're mad. You're mad for whatever reason. And if he really loved you, And if he really was a good God, and why, and when, and why, and when, and why, and when. But again, you've given God a job description. And if he really, really, really doesn't fit with how you think he should behave, you're taking your faith and going home. But come on. What does that solve? Does the pain and suffering go away? Is there less tragedy in the world? More diseases get cured because of that. More starving children get fed because of that. Is there less human trafficking because you don't like what God is or isn't doing? See, I think, I think the best option is the one that James presents to us here. It's it's to say, God, I don't like this, but you're God and I'm not. You are not made in my image. I'm made in yours. And so you're not a God that's interested in my job description or what I think you should be like. So I'll be patient with you. I'll be patient with the people around me. I'll recalibrate my heart. I'll trust you're working underneath the surface. And I'll live with the confidence that there is a solution to pain and suffering, but it doesn't happen in this world. It doesn't happen in this life. So here, here's a question to, to maybe hopefully recalibrate your heart. If you find yourself there right now where your heart is out of whack, when you look at the pain and the suffering, what, what, whatever realm you, you want to choose, if you find your heart out of whack, here's a better question than why and when. Here's a question that can hopefully help you recalibrate your heart. How would someone in your circumstances respond if they were confident that God keeps his promises? Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever that thing that weighs heavy on your heart right now or maybe sometime in the future... How would someone in your circumstances respond if they were confident God keeps his promises, specifically from our passage today, his promise that he's working even when you can't see it, and his promise to send Jesus one day to end all pain and suffering? How would someone in your shoes respond if they honestly, authentically believed that? And your answer to that question is the invitation for you to engage your faith in the midst of pain and suffering. Your answer to that question is the best option you've got. And if you engage with, if you act on that question and the answer to that question, you will see how faith works in the midst of great pain and suffering. Today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. How would someone in your circumstances respond if they were confident that God keeps his promise? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, this is a whole lot easier for me to stand up here and say than it is for me to walk out of this place and do. It's so much easier. We got in, in, in our current moment, this is the kind of follower of Jesus that we need. These are the kinds of things that we need to wrestle with. And then we need to not just hear your word, but we need to, to do it. We need to put it into practice so we have a faith that's alive, that actually works wherever we find ourselves. And so God, my, my prayer is, is, is very simple, that you would start with me. And that you would give me the courage, the insight, the wisdom to know what to do with what you have just said. And then the faith, the insight, the wisdom to walk out of this place and to do, to be the kind of follower of Jesus that's patient, that lives with with urgency a sense that you could come back at any moment and we want to be prepared, that your return is imminent. The kind of follower of Jesus that is patient with others, that believes all things, in all things, you're working underneath the surface. Would you help us with this? Would you give us grace to endure? And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.